everybody back themselves after our guys put a beat down on them earlier this year. In Golden State. DeRozan right to the hole. He ties the game at 98. DeRozan's got 20 to lead the way to the Spurs. Make him make that shot from the outside. DeRozan pulls up from the elbow. Get it! Welcome to Views from the Clutch. I go by the name of Smart Alex. I'm here with my brother from another. T. Grant. And we are here to bring back to you Views from the Clutch. This is episode 56. 55, double nickel. We have 55? I thought we'd be speeding it. Podcast. Live. Anyway, regardless, man, we moving. And we appreciate each and every one of y'all who have tuned in and become loyal. As always, if you would like to communicate with us, you can do so by leaving a voice note on any of the podcasting platforms where we are hosted. You can reach us directly via email at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. Tag us on social media at viewsfromtheclutch on Facebook and Instagram. And with that being said, um, let me take a quick moment to grab the mic away from C. Graham before he tries to do anything crazy. Um, on behalf of both of us, I do apologize for the delay in between our most recent episodes. Um, in lieu of all of the recent current events that have happened in the NBA, the untimely passing of Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and his seven other victims in that helicopter crash, we have kind of been on a brief hiatus trying to really process everything that has happened. I hope that each and every one of you who are listening to this podcast are alive, well, breathing, and in a good state of mind. And if not, Please make sure you reach out to someone and get the attention and care that you need in regards to all that you have going on in your life. Mental health, physical health, family health. We are two men that are very much about that. And we definitely implore that each and every one of you do not leave yourselves out there in the wilderness. There's always an outlook, always an outreach somewhere for you to go. So if you need to vent and get that pain out, go ahead and get that done. I don't have a sponsor to tag to that. But I'm definitely a big time endorser in all of us being in the great mind state that we need to be in to be able to talk about the things we love, which is the great game of basketball. So now to get back on track, the NBA has been a mess without us. Has it not, Seagrand? Has it not been a mess? Yo, it's crazy. As as we speak, um, <clears throat> heck, we could, we could start with the Iguodala situation from – him wanting to be out of Memphis and not helping Memphis because Memphis um, has been the, kind of one of the surprise teams of the league is currently holding down the apes. Young talent that they got. And Iguodala was basically told by Memphis to start the season, yo, don't show up. No, 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 no. We're not going to paint that. We're not going to paint that narrative. Okay, Iguodala so- requested that he be allowed to stay away from the team while they worked out an arrangement to get him to somewhere that he wanted to play. That is the narrative that him, his camp put out and that all of the reports have so, basically. What- so what Memphis did was as a team who understood the nature of what they were doing when they acquired him, they simply agreed to honor his request. And he has not participated in anything team related. I don't even know if he's been to Memphis this year, let alone so. 
been a part of anything that they've done. He's not been seen on the sidelines. I think the last time I saw Andre Udala on camera was when he was doing an interview for the Breakfast Club on his book tour. Oh, no, so, he was interviewed by ESPN on first take a couple, couple maybe like a week or two ago. Um, okay. And then he was on ES, not ESPN, but um, he was on NBA Countdown with Jalen okay, Rose. Great. And it was asked, it was kind of briefly asked them about, you know, the situation. the situation. Yeah, I don't think they kind of went into too much detail because he was trying can't. to, he couldn't. But again, what's your take on the fact that even with Memphis having that success and seeing a young talent, the fact that Equidala didn't want to have nothing to do with him. How do you? Um... I felt like I felt like from the get go when I first heard the situation that he requested to stay away. Let's be let's be a hundred percent honest. Um, I'm an advocate of what I agree with and what I agree with only. I'm not gonna sit up here and ever straddle the line and say I'm pro player, I'm pro organization, I'm pro coach, I'm pro anything. If it makes sense and I don't feel like anybody's getting the short end of the stick, I'm going to support it. Because those two parties agreed to something, I don't feel like it's fair to shade Andre Iguodala for asking to not be a part of what they have going on and them granting it. Now, if we were talking about a situation where Memphis said, nah, we want you to be around to be a veteran leader and provide some guidance to this young roster that we have, and that was what they were putting out there, then I will be all over Andre Iguodala's helmet. I thought about it in retrospect when we first discussed it offline, and I was like, you know, maybe I should give Andre Iguodala one of my famous third rounds, but then when I really put the perspective into place and decided to be more impartial about the fact that it takes two sides to come to an arrangement, can't really put no blame on him. I do think that it's unfortunate that a person like that who has so much knowledge to contribute, I mean, if there's any guy who a young point guard who's been handed the franchise can learn from and be able to give a real world perspective on what he's about to go through. It's him. He was AI too. Mm-hmm. He was AI mm-hmm. too. He was, a, he was an electric athletic young man who came from the university of Arizona, fresh off of a pretty good college career. And he came to that Philadelphia situation when they were beginning or already working on the transition of Allen Iverson to a different part of his career. I remember at one point when Iverson wasn't there that he became the franchise player. So he is all too familiar with what it takes to carry that weight and be that person and be asked to be the face of a franchise at a point where you're really young in life. And I thought that that type of tutelage that he could impart to um, John Morant and some of the other younger players would, would have been very helpful. It's unfortunate it didn't happen that way. But again, both parties came to an understanding. They're okay with the understanding. So therefore, I think it's fair that we should be okay with the understanding. So that's the stance I'm going to take on that particular instance. Um, Again, we all got to wake up and do what we have to do to earn our income. So we're, we're just living in a different life. So to hold them to the standards of the common working man is just absolutely not being realistic or even fair. So I don't, I don't, I don't have that perspective in regards to him abstaining from being, if he felt like he couldn't be a good influence, then he's speaking from the heart. And that's one thing I give Andre Iguodala credit for. He's always done that. Anytime that a microphone has been shoved in his face and he gets asked a question, he doesn't steer away from it. He was the first one to really speak openly on, on a major level about what happened to um, 
Mark Jackson. So you can't sit mm-hmm. up there and pretend like he's never been an advocate for anything social. He's well known in the community and for speaking out about causes that pertain to African-American youth, kids at risk, and a lot of other great causes that he, he has championed quietly. So to shade him would be, to me, be irresponsible to the type of character or person that he's, he's established himself to be. Again, I still do feel like veteran leadership in a situation like Memphis, it probably would have them at five games over 500 instead of being right at 500. So I do still think that like him not being a part probably didn't expedite their progress, but it also didn't hinder it because Memphis knows what they have. They know what they have. They have an idea of what direction they can go as a franchise to acquire pieces to get them to a place bigger and better than what they're currently at. And to be honest with you, every GM who actually knows what they're doing, they would love a situation where that part of the that part of the problem is already resolved for you. So it goes both ways, but in the end, I said, like I said, it's a mutual situation, so I don't hold nothing against them. But based on what you've gathered, because I'm I'm not as hip to what's going on right now, he's been moved to Miami. Yo, it just happened. It just happened maybe the last less than an hour ago. Uh, he was moved, and it's the fact that actually they're reporting that he was traded to Miami, um, according to uh, let me let me go actually go to the story real quick so I can read off the story. Um, it says according to you know um, Adrian Wojnarowski that Andre Iguodala is being uh, Memphis Grizzly have agreed to a deal to send Andre Iguodala to the Miami Heat. A league source told ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. Uh, uh, Iguodala agreed to the trade, and he also agreed to a two-year, $30 million deal extension with Miami, um, the second year being the team option. Um, it says Justice Winslow was part of the the package headed to Miami in the trade, so it's so Wojnowski. Um, it didn't specify if if that was all, and you know, the end-all, be-all. Again, I think according to the money situation, they, Miami would have to trade somebody else as well. But they just broke on Twitter that um, Justice Winslow was like um, he tagged tagged two of his former teammates from Duke, or two. No, I won't say it's former teammates, but two of his Duke alum alumni. Um, it was Grayson Allen and Tyus Jones. Yo, I'm on, I'm on my way. So that's dope. Honestly, you know I'm a big time supporter of Duke basketball players. That's one of my favorite college programs. And when guys who all were at one time or at any time all at the same university together, Justice and Grayson Allen won a um, championship together. I think they were all on that team where where um, Grayson Allen was a secret weapon as a freshman, a high-jumping Caucasian kid from out of nowhere. I think he's from Florida or anything to like. And, you know, he had a lot of potential, but he was like the, you know, their sixth man off the bench. Justice was a starter with the same versatility that he showed now in the league, and I think the big-time player on that team was uh, our boy who now, Okafor, who's now in um, New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um, who was the other third guy? Tyus Jones. He actually completed winning the championship with a later iteration of that Duke squad, and I forgot who all was on that team with him. But um, did they win? Yeah, Tyus Jones won a national mm-hmm. championship. I just can't remember who the other players on that team was because I think that was another one and done. No, I think that, that was just, wasn't Justice with them as well. 
wasn't it was him Justice Okafor? on the same team? Was it him Okafor? Maybe they all did play together. Maybe Tyus started. I know Justice, I think, played the three. Okafor was the five. I don't remember who the four and the two were. It might have been Rodney Hood who was a part of that team. I'm not sure. Rodney Hood may have predated them as well. But I think Rodney Hood has mm-hmm. a national championship as well. I mean, Duke has only won like maybe twice in the past five, ten years. So, but they did recently, you know, have a recent run of being in the Final Four and, and cutting the nets. So I know I, I'm pretty sure there's two Duke national championship teams that aren't too far apart as far as when they happen. That's why I'm just a little bit apprehensive on confirming which team he was on. But um, yeah. It's, it's good to see that part of the NBA play out where, you know, guys who are familiar with each other, know each other from sharing the same university, playing on the same floor, going to war together, are now going to be a part of something that's really starting to take on a really, you know, unique and heartwarming look to it as far as the roster that the Memphis Grizzlies have assembled. I, I, I do know that I spoke about it when we were doing season previews and neither one of us had them projected to be where they are, so... We both own that with no real apprehension, but I do recall both of us having a kind of liking for the talent that they had around John Morant. We just didn't think any of those guys were actually going to be big-time players. What it actually turned out to be is that Dylan Brooks has ascended. And um, like I was telling you offline, the Grizzlies are 17-1 and when he scores 20-plus points. Yeah, that's crazy. And, and a team that's 25-25, and 25, that leads you to believe if – they are 17 and 1 and they only have 25 wins. They are 8 and 25 when that young man does not put up 20. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty telling stat. Now, obviously, as a coach, you can't go out there and say, all right, well, we need to get Dylan 20 and we got to win. But you obviously have to go back and look at those 18 wins and start to get an idea of what else needs to happen for you to have a team identity with what you currently have. And it seems like they're on that path. I mean, I roasted Taylor Jenkins just for existing when we found out mm-hmm. he was the coach of the Memphis Grizzlies. And it turns out that this 35-year-old man who grew up as a Dirk Nowitzki fan and is actually six years younger than Dirk Nowitzki, he knows what he's doing. So far, so good. Mm-hmm. So job well done to what they have going on in Memphis. I've always been a fan of Memphis Grizzlies program. They were one of the teams that I always use in NBA Live to just absolutely abuse and make people rage quit because of the roster configurations that they've had over time. You know, I'm a big-time Stromile Swift fan. And NBA Live that year, he, like, nobody was blocking him. He was dunking everything. So <clears throat> he, was, he was fun to use. But um, with that being said, it, it, it is kind of funny that, I mean, Jay Crowder, is there a year he's played in the NBA that he wasn't traded? I don't know. He's definitely been uh, – nice. I think he's been on a, a team or – He finished a couple seasons maybe with the Celtics. Before they flipped him, but before the Celtics had him, I think he was a Mav, and then he, yeah, he got on. he brought so many teams. Yeah, he was on. he was a part of the LeBron Renaissance team that had uh, Derrick Rose on. It. Yo, he no, he well, let me say this: he played, he started his career in Dallas. He played two, uh, about three years in Dallas. Uh, wait, no, 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 I'm sorry, two and a half years in Dallas. Played two and a half years in Boston. A year and a half in Cleveland, a year in you or half a year, half the year in Cleveland, other half in Utah, and then he played a full season in Utah last year, and now he's on Memphis. So he's uh the fifteenth, which is possibly depending on how this um uh, drafts the trade 
trade uh, deadline goes, he might be on the move again. So he might be on his um sixteen and about ten seasons. Mm-hmm. So. And here, here's the thing that I want to point out to the audience. Sometimes we wonder why some of these guys, these quote unquote journeymen, wind up getting these deals that are beyond what we think they should get paid. And you going through his career path and how many different cities he's played, there's a great explanation to that. A lot of these guys understand that money keeps you in one place. So if it means I got to have a team overpay me to ensure that it's going to be difficult to move me, I'm going to push for a big deal. And some of these guys wind up getting those deals that wind up keeping them locked to teams. A perfect example of that is one Chandler Parsons. He spent the past five years on teams who had to wait for literally the perfect opportunity to be able to even attempt to move him. And now he's finally been released by the Atlanta Hawks in an effort for them to clear salary because of what's going on with the whole next story, which is Clint Capella, who is no longer a Houston Rocket. And Houston Rocket fans are not happy. Yeah, because they All went... throughout my timeline. Yeah, because Clint Capella, they traded... There's a 14 trade, which they said is the 14 trade, 12 players involved, which is the largest since... The Knicks traded um, Patrick Ewing as this Seattle uh, Supersonics back in 2000. Because um, basically, mm-hmm. this is how the trade breaks down. Um, Houston traded. Houston traded. Um, what should we call it? What's his name? At Clint Capella. And Nene. And Nene to Atlanta. Who we um, did not know was actively on their roster. We, yeah, because I remember us speculating on him being one of the veteran pickups. Turns out he's been on Houston's Rocket, Houston Rockets team, for the year, not playing. Mm-hmm. And then um, I think he was probably hanging out with Iguodala. Well, yeah, maybe I was. I wouldn't be surprised. You know, the, the, I'm pretty sure there's a paid veteran basketball player spot. You know, uh-huh. probably probably in Los Angeles, where you know. Players just wait for their number to be called, and then they finally go play for a team to close out the season. I mean, mm-hmm. we spoke to this. We spoke to the, the veteran buyout market and the fact that the NBA has two seasons, the evaluation season, which is everything that happens prior to the All-Star break, mm-hmm. and then the, the actual season, which is what's about to start playing out now, which is all of these teams who feel like they are either in a position to make a move upward or downward, start declaring their intentions and making pretty much their fan base and everybody else in the NBA aware of where they're planning to go. Um, yeah, but also, let me see, let me go back on who else they traded. Um, with the, well, the four teams. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Minnesota moved um, my boy, uh, Covington. He's now going to be a member of the Houston Rockets. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Jordan Bell from... Um, is going to be on the Houston Rockets. Mm-hmm. And then got... Denver acquired from from Minnesota. Denver acquired Sebas Napier, um, the key to Bates guy Noah Vonley, yeah. Noah Vonley, and injured guard uh, Gerald Gerald Green. Uh, yeah. Minnesota, who's going to be waived? Yeah, yeah, of course, Min- because he's injured for the season. Mm-hmm. Minnesota acquired uh, Atlanta's Evan Turner and Denver's uh, Jared Vanderbilt, and then. Uh, that was it. But then again, in order for when Atlanta made those moves, they had declared 
clear the extra roster space. So they had to waive Chandler Parsons and his expiring, expiring $25 million deal. So, You know what would be dope? If two players on a team, like if Atlanta had a player last name Archer, and you could read the article and it said they traded Parsons and Archer. <laughs> let's, let's get an NBA that's, player named Archer in there just for, yeah, just, for the sake of, just for the sake of reminding us of home sweet home. Yeah, that's a New if York joke. Yeah, if y'all don't understand, Parsons and Archer is the is the pretty much the epicenter of Queens. Like that's where it all starts and begins when it comes to living in Queens. That's where you get off the train. That's the that's the main stop. So Parsons and Archer, that I just had to quickly shout y'all out. Um, nah, man. Um, there's so many different things to like to like speak on in regards to everything that's happened. I mean, first and foremost, um, and I was telling you this, man, like you, you were pointing to it and I was trying to be the positive guy in this. And I now have to apologize to you. I owe you one. Chandler, man, you, you just out here stealing money, bro. You're out here stealing money. You're out here ste- and I'm not even saying stealing like with a gun, robbing people. Like you got the smoothest con game in NBA history these past five years. First off, you knew that all you had to do if you didn't actually want to play basketball was get an injury exception that said that you couldn't come back and be the player that you were. We saw it happen for guys like Darius Miles. We saw it happen to, to, to players before Chris Bosch is the most recent example. You can be retired for medical reasons, but you made every team that tried to acquire you feel like you was actually going to try to play basketball. But then it, you get into then you get to the car accident. But yeah, I mean that 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 you know that that's a tricky situation. You don't know. We don't know the standpoint. Of the, plus, what I would say is his agent is definitely a good agent. But again, he capitalized on his hot on his hot streak. Now again, yeah, he got injuries, hot at the, the you can't be the, too the, faulted for for yeah. You know what he I mean? got hot at the greatest time in NBA history to get overpaid. That that cap jump that he was able to take advantage of. I don't fault that man for that. And again, I like Chandler Parsons as a plas- basketball player. He went to the University of Florida. He was, he's 6'10". He's versatile. He could switch out to the perimeter. He could make shots from the perimeter. He could handle the ball a little. He could playmake a little. He could post up. Mm-hmm. That year that he was with the Rockets, and they also had, I think, um, at the time, Dwight Howard was still on that team. Mm-hmm. I, like, I liked them. And when I saw that he was going to Dallas, I wasn't really too mad. I was like, you know what? You're not really leaving Texas. You're still staying in the West. It's the same division. And next thing you know, his his body betrayed him. So you know what? I'm not going to hold that over your head that, you know what I'm saying, injuries happen and sometimes you just can't come back from them. I get it. But when you got into the car accident and started singing the lyrics to my neck, my back, Dang. that's when I had to step down. Yeah. <laughs> That's messed up, that's, man. You don't that, that's when that's I had to step case, down. Man. Come on, son. You showed me the screenshot of him and his lawyer talking about he may have sustained career-ending injuries and this, that, and third, and blah, blah, blah. If he sustained career-ending injuries a month ago and the franchise didn't take advantage of him being able to be waived on that provision, what does that tell you, C. Grant? Well, he wasn't prepared for that angle, were you? But what, but again, wouldn't that be more so on the team wanting to say that, not necessarily him saying it? Correct. The team didn't say it. He said it. 
He said, yo, I got in a car accident and I've probably ruined, or I'm not ruined, I've probably, this accident may have, has probably ended my career. If a team's got you on their roster and they know an injury exception, because that's what you get, whether it's on the court or off, mm-hmm. you get an injury exception. That means that that salary comes off your books. You still got to pay it, but it's not a part of your salary cap. Uh, yeah, right. So why wouldn't the team immediately say, yo, you think you, you can't play no more? Oh, come see our doctor. We'll declare you ineligible and cut you the check for 25 mil right now. Yeah. And that didn't happen? Who knows? That didn't happen. Why it didn't happen? Because Atlanta wanted to hold this cap number? <laughs> yeah, y'all believe what y'all want, man. Y'all believe what y'all want. And when, when we're talking about Chandler Parsons trying to get signed to a random team in Saskatchewan, Manitoba, because he still has got love for the game, then y'all can holler at me. But for now, that man, he, he's, doing his, he's doing his money numbers. And I ain't mad at you, bro, because you only live one life. YOLO. Live your best. Max it out. Get all, get all that you can because, again, that, that window to actually be a high-level professional athlete is very short. So I, I understand how the game is played from both sides. I just – that's one of those situations where, you know, I do kind of feel a way because that's somebody that I've defended unnecessarily, I feel like, now, based on, based on his behavior and what, what has come out. So, you know what, Atlanta, let's go ahead and speak to them acquiring Clint Capella. Here's my issue with these deadline deals and some of the teams that get involved. We know that Atlanta was trying to get a hold of Andre Drummond. I don't know why. I, you still cannot explain to me why. So Atlanta, who clearly is speedballing to one of the top five picks in the draft with their record, they have absolutely no hope whatsoever of contending for the playoffs this year decides that they need to get a starting caliber center before the draft. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not no GM. You're not no GM. Mm -hmm. But as a person who's been following the game for quite a while, when's the best time to get a player? You said, when's the best time to get a player? When's the best time to get a player as 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 an NBA GM? When when do we see the most player movement happen? Uh, Right around this time or summertime. The draft. Yeah, Right around the draft time? Right Mm -hmm. around the draft time in the offseason is when you see players change teams, coasts, everything. Coaches, personnel, everybody gets moved. What benefit does it give the Atlanta Hawks to bring on a player who instantly improves them dramatically. Mm. Please explain this logic to me. We want to win now. We got to get to that 15-game mark. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's crazy. Are you kidding me? We're going to bring in Clint Capella, who's top five rim runner, defensive rebounder, and, and, and interior defender, to shore up, obviously, a deficiency that they have, we're going to figure out if, because he's on the books for another two years. I think he's 13, 16, and 17 mil for, for these consecutive years. So he was the outline contract Actually, more that was that. movable. He's, um, well, heck, he's on the books. It might be 16, 17, 18. It's actually, he's on the books for the next four years. Well, no, three years after this season. It's 17, 18, 19. Yeah, yeah. So okay. he, on 2018, he signed a five-year, $90 million deal. 
So his last season would be uh, of that deal would be for 19, 19 and a half million, and that's in the twenty two to twenty. So the Atlanta Hawks again. Yeah, why'd you get them with 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 enough cap space to sign a planet in the off season because they have nothing but guys on rookie deals. Uh huh. Says, and they have Chandler Parsons' contract coming off the books. Mm-hmm. And they also had, didn't they have Evan Turner too? They got rid of him. That's one of the ones where they shipped him out right. now. So you had, two, you had two dead money deals mm-hmm. that you felt you had to get something for. And you felt like the best thing to do was to take that dead money and turn it into Clint Capella. Now, obviously, if you felt like that was somebody that you had on your radar and you needed to have him, yeah, you go out and get him. But we all know that you wanted Drummond more. Well, I, I think they're looking at it like from this standpoint of, uh, Compeller's only 25 years old, and... He fits the... Listen, I'm not... As far as his youth and where he's at in his career, all that is a fit. But again, the problem is, is that there are 30 games left. He's healthy, or the moment he's healthy, he's going to play. They're going to improve. Why would you mess with your draft position? What, you don't want to be in the draft? So are you guys looking to possibly flip the pick? Why? Your whole entire core is under the age of 25 now because Clint Capella is going to probably be your senior player. Mm -hmm. Why are you in a hurry to start doing what teams who are chasing the championship do, which is to sell off draft picks to teams who are desperate to, you know, give their fans hope that there's a future? I I don't get it. There's got to be something going on. There's definitely got to be something going on behind the scenes because, like you say, yeah, because... Yeah, I don't see why. Maybe what roster spot? Well, okay, so Clint Capella fills their, their their need at the five. So you have a starting caliber five at, at, mm-hmm. at Clint Capella. Now you got to see if him and John Collins can work together. The backup center who's been doing, or or whoever was playing, well, I can't remember the name, but number thirty, he's actually pretty good, and he was filling in at power forward and center because the, no matter what, Atlanta would not start Alex Lynn. They only mm-hmm. would start him when they had like seven healthy guys. Then Alex Lynn gets to start. Anyway, point being, they're, they're set at the five. Now you have John Collins at the four. Clint Capella can't shoot. So now you put the onus on, on John Collins to become mm-hmm. a knockdown spot-up four man because you're essentially removing him from being your role guy. On, on, because what do you do when you roll with him? Where do you put Clint Capella? At the dunker spot? Hello, have you watched Houston basketball for the past however long he's been playing? He doesn't play the dunker spot. He is the dunker spot. How does he get that? Off of a fake pick semi-roll where James Harden draws the defense and he throws up a pass where everybody in the stadium doesn't know if he's trying to shoot a floater or if he's throwing an alley-oop until Capella goes and gets it. That's his offense. He doesn't do post-ups. He he doesn't have a mid-range jump shot. He doesn't really have any discernible one-on-one game. So from a basketball sense, He's changing the dynamic of how your team's going to play. And then to go along with that, at the three, you still have an ongoing war with this whole DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish situation. Yeah, which is not looking good. Then you have, you have Trey Young, who solidified at the one. He's an all-star. There's not really much you can tell that kid. I don't know what they have going on at the two. Maybe you move Reddish up just so that you, you, you lessen the log jam, but then you put a poor shooter who's not a great defender yet into your starting lineup. Because I don't really know what they have going on to the two unless you're going to say they're going to start Kevin Herter, who he seems to be pretty good at being an off-the-bench guy for them. So 
I don't know, man. Uh, eventually, maybe the, the Hawks logic will sort itself out. The Hawks have been a curious franchise ever since the whole Mike Buda holds a, you know, everything must go thing that they did where they lost Al Horford and then they just proceeded to just start shipping things every which way they could. They've got to prove something to me. They definitely got to prove something yeah, to me. It, it, I won't. The only thing I'm getting out of them is, and again, like you said, some sometimes these GMs, you don't, you got to question their decision making because maybe they felt with Andre Drummond they could not. They figured maybe he would want more, too much money. He would ask for too no. Much money. The thing that the thing that stopped them from Andre Drummond was the fact that he has a player option for 28 mil. Oh, he's going right. to take that. He's going to take that player option for 28 mil because his market and for what he does, even though it is inherently invaluable, nobody considers it being worth what they would have to pay to get him to do it. So you have to pay Andre Drummond 28 mil to be a non-shooting big man who's going to lead the league in rebounds, demand five to seven post-ups a game and not really be a part of what's going on in most NBA offenses. When we spoke to Andre Drummond's availability, I told you the type of teams that could benefit from using him already have a player who's doing what he does, and some of them have two versions of it. Mm-hmm. If you go to the Los Angeles Lakers, JaVale McGee and, and Dwight Howard, they equal what you're getting from a, um, Andre Drummond. And, ja- and JaVale is on a real cap-friendly deal. I think he's at 8 mil, and Dwight is on a one-year just got guaranteed $2.1 million deal. So at $10 million, you're getting the production that Andre Drummond's going to give you. A big who can't really shoot free throws all that well, doesn't have that much range, is excellent at setting screens, is an interior defender, and is going to rebound above his position and outside of his position so that he gives you an extreme rebound. The, the Lakers are getting that for $10 million. Mm. He's going to get 28 next year. That's $18 million over. And mind you, the Lakers are getting that out of two guys. So when JaVale went down, Dwight's spot started and vice versa. And look at any other team that's got a situation like that. Okay, look at Rudy Gobert. You get what I'm saying? Like guys like that, guys like that and the money that they're going to get, that market is dead. That market is dead. Like you really have to have some sort of exceptional skill to be a big who can't shoot to, to, to warrant getting above what even Clint Capella's getting. But what's crazy is why is Andre Drummond only twenty six years old? I thought that dude. Andre, was, I thought that dude had a twenty six year old kid, man. That dude feel like he's been in the league since the eighties, man. I felt like I'm like. This. That's what happens when you get drafted out of UConn and you already have chest hair. <laughs> Andre Drummond used to get tore up behind the fact that he wasn't trimming the chest hair on the outside of his jersey. There oh, used to be memes about it all the time. Yeah. You remember now, right? I remember this crap. So, so he's always been the grown young kid. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and let's not confuse it. I'm an Andre Drummond fan. I like him. I enjoy watching him play. I, I do be feeling bad for him because he goes so hard on defense. Like, you know how you know that defender who's going to wind up embarrassing himself because they're just doing too much? Mm-hmm. They're good. But eventually it's like, yo, the way you gamble, Somebody going to dunk on you really bad. or yeah. And that's what happens to him. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's out there giving so much effort and not always putting the attention required into protecting his safety or not necessarily making every play that he winds up getting caught slipping. And that's how Embiid be smoking him. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Embiid knows, all right, 
you the one guy that I can throw three fakes on and eventually you're going to send me to the free throw line mm-hmm. because you're just so determined to send my shit into the stands. So let me just go ahead and pump fake you four times and then roast you because now that I'm in your head, which is another thing that Andre Drummond has shown, is that people can get inside his head. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? No, I so I, I, I do support Andre Drummond as a basketball player. I definitely want to continue to see him play and excel. I don't want to sound like a hater when I say that he's not worth 28 mil. I'm saying that the market for what he does doesn't dictate 28 mil. So please nobody, you know, come for me and think that like, oh, here you are out here pocket watching. No, it's not that at all. It's not that at all. If there's another NBA team out there that wants to give him an extension, four years, 170 mil, or five years, 170 mil, like Ben Simmons, and tell me who it is. I'll apologize. I got no problem apologizing. Hey, maybe maybe the Lakers make room for him next year somehow, some way. I don't know. But the point being is, is that his contract doesn't really lend to being attracted to GMs because they know that he has that player option looming. Mm-hmm. So if he goes to a team, the first thing his agent's going to say is, yo, let's talk extension. Mm-hmm. And the teams are going to throw what they really want to throw him, which is going to be in the mid-team millions over a multi-year deal, probably try to get him at like four years, 60 five years, 70. You know what I'm saying? Something like that. They're not going to give him a Clint Capella deal, even though he's probably fiscally equally, if not worth more than that. Mm. He's not going to get that because nobody wants to commit that to a situation where they know his game is not going to change, evolve, or, or, or truly make their team any different than it would be if they had any other token big man who does the same thing, block shots, rebounds, and plays hard on defense. Mm-hmm. Those guys, unfortunately, nowadays... They, that's the new default creative player in 2K, bro. <laughs> you know what I mean? Interior defender. Like, yeah. as soon as you open the box, you're getting seven Andre Drummond cards. So I'm not, I'm not saying it from any type of perspective of, hey, I, I think his talent is definitely valuable in the right situation. I just don't know if his contract will allow him to exhibit it in a situation where he can win. And that's what I worry about. And that's kind of like what Detroit's coming to terms with. I think at this point, knowing that they can't really do anything with Andre Drummond as far as moving him, that we're about to see Derrick Rose get moved. But I just read that Derrick Rose is not going to be attending the skills competition because of an injury. Oh, wow. So, Derrick Rose, I wish you a speedy recovery. I've been very, very intrigued and happy for you this whole entire year with the continued excellent play that you've been showing in Detroit. I definitely wanted you to be in the All-Star game because of the nature of it being in Chicago. So I had a nostalgia thing going with you and Zach Levine. I'm glad that Zach Levine found a way to get there via the three-point shootout. So shout out to him. Obviously, it would have been better to see all three of you on the court. Like I mentioned, I wanted to see you, Jimmy, and um, and D-Rose out there, but that's not going to happen. Oh, well. Um, I don't even think we even really got to speak about the remainder of the All-Star rosters, did we? No, not really, but also... What I, what I heard that the NBA is doing this year for the three-point shootout is, I think, putting... They added a money ball of some sort that's, well, like, just inside half half court. Yeah, it's like yeah. a 30-footer. It's like, but I think it's two or three of those shots. Like it, it's, it's sponsored by Mountain Dew. Mm-hmm. The ball is going to be a special color. Yeah. And you get one per round. So oh, it's going to actually be worth... Okay. And you get... And you get... Or two, but they're... Both shots, if you make them, are worth three points. Uh-huh. So the three-point shootout typically works with you take four shots worth one point, money ball worth two. Now you have another money ball, and they added 10 seconds to the round. Yeah. So instead of it being a 60-second round, it's now 70 seconds. I mean, listen, I'm all for doing what they can to make those 
all-star festivities festivities more exciting and more compelling. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to be against an experiment that allows players who are already doing it in games yeah. to do it in the competition. I mean, come on, Damian Lillard has been putting on a long-range competition that really has got to be aching Steph Curry's soul right now because <laughs> Steph Curry had that Steph Curry had that title belt and he had that belt emblazoned with like Egyptian gold. Wasn't nobody anywhere saying that there was a player who could shoot from farther away from the rim than Steph Curry up until what Dame Lillard's been on right now. Yeah. And Dame, who, whatever your chef is cooking for you, whatever sneakers you're wearing, whatever socks you ain't washed, whatever special gym shorts from when you was at that small school you played in in college, whatever you're doing <laughs> that's got your sauce on this level, Yo. find it, frame it, nope. and, and thank the man upstairs that, that you were able to do this because it's not sustainable, bro. No, well, I, the, I, the other <clears throat> night against Denver, he was held to, um, I think he was held to 20, 21 points, but I think he ended up taking about 20-something shots. As a matter of fact, let me look this up. I was just looking at that right before we um, got on the phone. Yeah, he was held to 21 points against Denver. And, and they lost by like 30, right? Yeah, yeah. It was like 127 they lost, to 103 or yeah, something like no, that. They lost uh, by 28, but yeah. He was held with 21 points on 8 for 23 shooting, uh, 1 for 6 from 3-point range. Actually, surprisingly, he didn't have no turnovers, though. He had nine assists, which sometimes yeah, he's not. He, you know, Dane don't really turn the ball over a lot because even though he plays the point guard, I don't know if he's ever really been a super duper high assist guy. I think he just got into the triple double conversation during this crazy run where one yeah. of those games was a triple double. First triple double in his career. Right. So I'm not saying he's not a good passer. I just think that he does what his team requires, and that doesn't really require him to do a lot of playmaking because it's him and CJ. And people forget how much of a playmaker CJ McCollum is because he went to Lehigh and he was point guard there. So he's literally just playing the two guard out of necessity. He could run the one. And I've spoken about that on another situation that, like, mm-hmm. yo, Portland may wind up when it's time to blow up what they do, trading CJ out to somewhere, and that team just immediately saying, CJ, you are starting point guard. So it's a situational thing they got going on in Portland. I definitely am happy to see them climbing back up into the standings. Obviously, now we know who their target is going to be. They are going to be chasing the Grizzlies. Um, the West has kind of sort of leveled itself out. We know what teams are probably going to be in the playoffs. Now it's just a matter of where they're going to finalize. So you've got that, that, you got that upper crust where you've got Los Angeles sitting at the top. And then you got that second tier where you have, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you have, and not in this order, but you have Clippers, Jazz, and um, Denver. Mm-hmm. And then you go down one more tier, and that's where you have Dallas, Oklahoma City, Houston. And, um, and Houston. Houston's the fifth seed right now. Right. So, and, and actually, um, Oklahoma City is only like a game and a half back. So they're not actually in that third crust, but they're like knocking on the door of it. There's a team I'm omitting. Who's the sixth seed? Uh, right now it's Memphis, but they are. Memphis is in six now? Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, sir. No, no, no. Dallas is the sixth seed. Dallas is the sixth seed. So it's Dallas, up one spot, Houston. And then at number three, that's where mm-hmm. there's another separation, right? No, no, like no, a no. two or three games. No, no. Uh, it's L.A. It's, it's the Lakers in first, Clippers second, 
Denver Curry. Right, but the Lakers have like a four or five game lead well, got, on the Clippers, yeah, right? They got three, three and a half games. Um, okay. But no, saying Denver's in the third spot. Uh, they're half a game out of second. U- Utah is in four right now. Uh, they're two games out of that third spot. Houston's a half game behind Utah. Dallas is six. Oklahoma City seven. And Memphis is eight. Memphis is four. No, five games out from catching um catching from uh Oklahoma City. But you know, we'll see af- again after uh everything that happens before the trading deadline. We'll see if Oklahoma City's actually retools and try to make the push to keep that seven seed, or do they just try to bottom themselves out and trade some of that for future assets? We'll see how that goes. And same thing with Memphis. If Memphis is holding out Jay Crowder and um, Solomon Hill, who are two role players on their team that were, I think um, Jay Crowder was averaging about 10 or 11 points this season for them. Yeah, those are those are, those are are tried and true rotation, rotation guys, players. Yeah, talking and you're talking about vets, too, that both been in the league over five years. Yeah. Um, Solomon Hill is just like that random name that just be popping up. Out of convenience, I remember he was in in um in New Orleans, and people just were so so willing to put the blame on him because he was starting mm-hmm. on why they couldn't win. And we obviously know that New Orleans had a whole another level of not being constructed correctly going on over there. So shout out to Solomon Hill. Um, I hope he finds himself a good situation and whatever it is that winds up happening with with that Memphis Grizzlies roster. I think. Memphis has to figure out the perfect balance of bringing in guys that make sense and also not losing guys who made what they have going now work the way it has. Um, Valanchunas has been there and been a professional ever since he got traded for Marcus All. have to give him a lot of credit. He's pretty much replicated what he was already doing in Toronto while also trying to expand his game. He shoots threes now. So um, <clears throat> obviously he needs to because he's playing alongside – of um, Jaron Jackson Jr., who is developing into being one of the best young, you know, power forwards in the league. Absolutely. So Memphis has got a lot of good things going for him. Shout out to um, Denver because they sneakily, really, really sneakily got away from Malik Beasley, who they had been trying to find a taker for. And they got themselves involved in this four-team deal to basically get players out that they didn't have any long-term plans for it, but they were still productive. Who was the other guy that Denver was able to get rid of in that trade? Because they got two uh, guys off their roster. Hernandez, I think. So they got Hernan Gomez out there because he had fallen out of the rotation. He was the guy who was basically standing in front of Michael Porter Jr.'s minutes. Mm-hmm. So it was only a matter of time before they figured out what to do and found found a taker for him. So again, D- Denver remains remains a very crafty franchise, even having lost Masai Ujiri. They continue to make personnel moves that like continue to line them up for long-term competitiveness in spite of them not being a big market. So they've got a top-tier talent to continue to add around Jokic until they figure out the right the right combination. And you know, they're only really locked into Jokic and Jamal Murray currently. So it made sense. You're going to elevate Michael Porter Jr. probably by the end of the season. If not, by next season, he's going to be starting. You've got, what, Millsap on the books for, like, another one year or something simple like that. Mm, and check. now they've – and they also have um, 
they have Jeremy Grant there. And yeah. he's probably going to be slated to replace Millsap. So they they seem to move with a plan, a plan that even a casual fan can kind of see from a distance and understand what they have going on. So shout out to Denver. I don't want to take anything away from them. I don't think that they're a serious contender yet. I think that they're a second-round playoff team in the West because they still remain young and inexperienced, and even the players on their team that do have experience, they don't really have long-term winning experience. I think like the max that Millsap has done in his career is the Eastern Conference Finals with the Atlanta Hawks, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that's when LeBron James and them ran him over. I think they got swept. So mm-hmm. I do respect and understand that he brings veteran leadership to the table, but there's a different level of veteran leadership when the guy who's the veteran is a known winner. You know, you walk in there, even though you don't wear the championship ring, everybody know you own one. Mm-hmm. So you get a certain level of, of respect, kind of like us, man. You could put any token guy in front of us and tell us what to do on the basketball court, but once you put an NBA champion in front of us and he tells us what to do on the basketball court, ain't going to be no objections. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way it works, you know? Clout. Cloud holds weight, and it definitely holds weight in locker rooms. So I oh. think <clears throat> I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, I think as far as like how the basketball landscape is projecting itself, everything is starting to still fall into some of the same pieces that I spoke to, and we we both spoke to early in the year. There's nothing anybody can do with Toronto. Everybody's watching Milwaukee run laps on the league. That's wonderful. Milwaukee, go out and win 75 games. None of that shit matters. Yeah, actually, speaking of the Raptors, they just won their 12th straight franchise high, 12th straight games. So they're currently in the number two seed uh, by two games. Where they belong. Boston. Yeah, over, and they're like two games over Boston. And get this. They're on pace to win more games without Kawhi than they did when they had him. And everybody said, oh, the Raptors are lucky to be. Not everybody, but people outside of us, because I, I, I slotted them high. You doubted me, but I slotted them high. Everybody said, oh, sixth, fifth, fourth seed, maybe. No, bro. I'm telling you, man, there's certain guys that are helmed by GMs that just don't know how to lose. If you play for Masai Ujiri or Musai Ujiri coaches your team, expect to win a good amount of games. Mm-hmm. If, oh, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. if your team is helmed by Sam Presti, expect to win a good amount of games because somehow, some way, Oklahoma City is on pace to their 11th straight playoffs. 11. Now, mind you, a lot of that was, you know, populated with Westbrook, Durant, and those great young teams that they had. Mm. They don't got none of that now. Yeah. And here they are. Still winning. Sitting pretty. Still winning. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm... And then on the other side of the spectrum, it looks like R.C. Buford and his his uh, his validity as a GM is starting to fade. Like the NBA is outgrowing him. I, 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 the Spurs they get better and then they get sick every other game. Mm-hmm. Every time I'm ready to say they might be able to rip off a run, it just doesn't seem like they have enough parts in place where they need them to be able to really sustain any type of success. Demar Derozan is actually having a great season. He's having one of the better scoring seasons he's had in the past three years. He's shooting as well, or if not better, than he has in some of the past three years. They figured out how to space the floor by getting LaMarcus Aldridge to start taking threes. And it still ain't enough. 
because of the Marcus Aldridge being the guy who's supposed to be your interior stopper, it ain't gonna work. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, you already know that. I never really like that dude like that much. Um, Who, L.A.? Yeah, Lamarcus Aldridge. I just feel like he was, there was something more to him that he, he needed to go to another level, but I felt like he never really went to. Um, I always understood after watching him in college that because he doesn't have lift and it just seems like to be prejudiced, but because he can't jump high, I just always saw he's going to be one of those groundbound forwards who's going to make a living with that activity that doesn't involve having and, and we say a lot about Tim Duncan not being athletic in comparison to LaMarcus Aldridge Tim Duncan is like Michael Jordan in his prime. Yeah, but I mean, like Lamarcus really don't get off the floor for much of anything. No, no, I see, definitely seen that, especially the last couple of years. But uh, again, but you know that that is is a way to look at. You have to expand your game. You know, you can't always do you know the L. He's doing that now. He's shooting threes. He's shooting threes. It took him a while to get comfortable, and he's doing it. And their offense in the past like ten games is actually top three. So they have figured it out offensively. I just don't think that they have the parts around. Like, if you have to play LaMarcus Aldridge, that means your interior defense is going to be weak. Because if you put him at the four, now you have to stick up, you know, another five out there. They try to do it with Yaka Portal, and he's not the defensive stopper that you would need to be to have next to LaMarcus Aldridge. So it still doesn't work. Like, honestly, a good place for Andre Drummond to go would be San Antonio. Because it allows you to slide LaMarcus to the four occasionally, mm-hmm. then let him play small ball five with quicker lineups, but you can go big. And all of the teams that are winning, they have a big lineup. They have a version of a big lineup that they can trot out there. So I, I don't know, man. I don't know. San Antonio, like, what are they standards right now? Let's see. Uh, San, San Antonio, Antonio is... Outside of the playoffs, but they're close to um, San Antonio. San Antonio is three games out of Memphis at 22 and 28, uh-huh. and Memphis is 25 and 25. So they're exactly the 50-game mark for both teams. They're three games away from Memphis. Like we were speaking of, and like you've been alluded to earlier, that race for that eighth seed is going to be something epic to watch because you got Portland, San Antonio, New Orleans, you could say Phoenix, but I'm going to remove Phoenix from the equation because they didn't really add anybody, so I don't see them somehow getting better, whereas Zion is integrating himself and he's starting to acclimate himself pretty well. Mm-hmm. New Orleans could catch hot. You know, New Orleans could catch a hot streak and, and, and rack off four or five games in a row. Now, obviously, the standard has been set. If you want to make the eighth seed in the West, you've got to go at least 41 and 41. So they, the New Orleans is in a 10-game hole with that. They have to run off a 10-game, 9-game, 7-game win streak and then follow that up with another one to even really be considered. Portland, because of what they did recently, they're edging towards possibly getting the 500 because, you know, if Dame Lillard goes off again for another week, we could be looking at them being a game or two out of 500. Now they're right on Memphis's heels. Mm-hmm. San Antonio, like I said, because of their inconsistency, I can't see them winning enough consecutive times so out of those three, I would say Memphis is probably looking over their shoulder and worried most about Portland and New Orleans, and probably Portland more so than any of the other teams. Otherwise, you know, 
they're sitting okay. They need to keep doing what they're doing. Their rookies are going to continue to improve. They're seventeen and one when Dylan Brooks scores twenty. So shoot, let Dylan Brooks get his twenty, and we figure out the rest. Um, like I said, the rest of the West is just kind of just a matter of where teams are going to land, so that predictions on who's going to win what series are going to be based more on home court advantage, because that's really all it's going to boil down to. Before we wrap this up, we have got to talk about what is going on in Philadelphia. Mm, yeah, that uh, that's a whole conversation. Go ahead, bro. Nah, Philly, Philly. Go ahead, bro. Philly's got some issues. I mean, the coaching, they got a lot of personalities, and unfortunately, I don't think the coach is at the stage right now. And being there, being the same air for the last few years, I don't think he's the right voice for them anymore. I think his voice is, I think, it was good to build them up. But I think when they're at right now, I don't feel like they'll get any better unless they change the coach. I mean, because you got guys bickering, complaining. I think, I, like I've told everybody, just because Ben Simmons shoots a lot of jump shots that are pre-recorded, and you don't know how many times you edited, <laughs> yo, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean. Like I said, he's a good player. He's definitely one of the top players in the league. But if you're asking him to shoot the ball more because it's going to help everybody, and he's not even making those attempts. That's that's something that is a lot more going on. And you got Joel and B that's saying, Hey, listen, everybody's complaining about him going to the post, but he's he's been a team player by shooting more threes to have the spacing on the floor that he deserves, that the team needs. You can't expect when you have the disconnect there, when you have your point guard who is a good facilitator but refuses to shoot jump shots and you got your great you know facilitator. Either way. He's a facilitator. He's just as bad as a jump shooter. So, you know, so I think it's a combination Listen, of I've I, I told you I'm no longer allowed to defend them. Well, and also not just that. Simmons, they 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 when they when they paid uh Tobias Harris instead of paying Jimmy Butler, that became something that they had to deal But with. Jimmy Butler didn't want to be there. Well again, I mean that's you know, you hear different stories. You hear that he wanted to be there, then you hear he didn't want to be there. But either way, no, man. I think Come no, on. it was is, evident and Butler said it. I wanted to go to my No, what I'm saying is when you don't get somebody of that magnitude and you you overpay for Tobias Harris, who unfortunately you paid him to be a top guy, but his it's not his demeanor. That's not in, in him to be, you know, hey, I, you're paying me like a number one option, but I, you need me to be consistent too. That's not that's not possible. He's not even there. No, he's the third option in that. He, he's the third option. And that's what makes it even a... more puzzling that that they made that move. I get it. You don't want to lose Tobias. He's a great, great guy to have on your team for the right price. But for yeah, but for what you need, you needed a different. Then also, and then and then to compound it, you bring Al Horford in, who doesn't match. I think Al Horford would be more effective. And you, you know it. who's the leading scorer based on. Total amount of games played on the Philadelphia 76ers? No. It's Tobias Harris. Oh, yeah. At 19 per game. Yeah. Because he's played 51 games. Joel Embiid doesn't qualify because he's only played 35. So let's look at Tobias's splits. He's averaging 34 minutes a game, 19 points. He's giving you six and a half boards, almost three assists, mm-hmm. one turnover, and his PER is 16. Point three eight. So the two PR leaders are Embiid and Simmons as far as, you know, mm-hmm. player efficiency rating. Um, 
I don't know if I really have the ability to delve into his shooting, but the reality is, is that he's an okay spot up shooter. He's not elite. And when you don't have an elite gun, look, his last 10 games, his three point percentage is 33.3% for the regular season. He's 34.5%, which is just below league average. And for his career, he's a 36.2, which is just above league average. League average, league average on three-point shooting is 35%. Mm-hmm. When you have a team like you have in Philadelphia, you don't go out and get a guy or keep a guy who's not pushing the needle on three-point shooting. And Philadelphia, and this, is, this falls on Elton Brand, because in your desperation to get these quote-unquote elite guys, you traded away the pieces that you need the most. I'm not saying you go back in retrospect and you don't trade Tobias Harris. I'm saying when you go back in retrospect, you don't trade the kid that you did to get him. Mm-hmm. Landry Shamit is going to be an elite shooter or he's not going to have a career. That's what he does, period. Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's not in the mold of a J.J. Redick, but he has the same catch-and-shoot ability with the same level of accuracy. J.J. Redick, what makes him elite is that weird one-dribble pull-up three that he makes that nobody else in the league makes. The only other guy I see who makes that one-dribble pull-up three coming off of a screen, a pin-down, mind you. So they come off a pin-down. He catches the ball right behind the pick setter, dribbles one time to the right of that pick setter, and immediately goes up into a shooting motion. The only other guy I've seen do that successfully is Kyle Korver. Mm-hmm. And neither one of those guys, meaning, oh, did I just name another guy who played for the Sixers? Obviously, Kyle Korver didn't have a chance to be a part of this roster. He was long gone. Point is, Reddick was there. You let him go. You had Shamit, who was a younger version of Reddick. You traded him to get Tobias Harris. So we can sit up here and blame this on the coach and say somehow the coach is the reason why they haven't figured this out. I blame it on the GM because it's a poorly constructed roster. Even if Al Horford is shooting a career season from the three-point line, every team is still going to say, I'd rather have Al Horford shoot a three than have Joel and B beat us to death on the block and have Ben Simmons drive into the paint on every damn possession. It doesn't matter. He's not that dangerous of a shooter. And it's not going to be that much of a value that Al Horford having a five for eight three point game is going to kill you. It might hurt you in one game in a series, but it's not going to swing a series because you're not going to do it consistently. And that's the problem that they have in Philadelphia. You have guys who can make shots. They just can't make them on the level that elevates you. And then let's speak to another thing. They're terrible on the road. It's something like nine and 18 on the road. They, they, they took a home game against L.A. and took them to the woodshed. Then immediately go on the road the next game, I think, to Miami and get taken to the woodshed. Mm-hmm. That level of inconsistency, it speaks to no, that's, the roster yeah. not being put together correctly so that they can even develop a bond or a chemistry. And if a guy who is a known psycho like Jimmy Butler don't want to play there. Mm-hmm. What do you expect? Jimmy Butler is the happiest thing since sliced bread in Miami. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. And he's got a whole bunch of guys who are looking at him like young pups, like, yo, show us the way. Mm-hmm. We'll follow you. He obviously, we didn't, he obviously didn't feel that energy was present in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And I could sense it from the moment that he got there that, like, other players on the team resented him being there. They respected him. But it's just a different level of commitment and buy-in that you get from certain guys in the league based on who they are. 
And again, if you don't put the right play, everybody keeps talking about, oh, Al Horford is so invaluable because of his intangibles. Well, his intangibles just got him exposed on Twitter for talking about this and going on in the locker room that we got to figure out, but I ain't going to speak on it. Well, what did you just do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And again, that you, you, you get certain plays, you got to have, you got to have your PR people. Certain plays don't need to speak about certain things. Just, and you would never expect somebody like Al Horford does not even have a history of doing things like that. So that has to tell you the how serious the level of dysfunction is that Al Horford, a man who's sitting on four years, $109 million, don't got no reason to be mad at anything in the world. No, he's going to the playoffs because of the team he's on. Mm-hmm. He don't feel right with what he's dealing with there. Yeah. That's heavy, bro. That is very heavy. That is heavy, heavy, heavy. Absolutely. It's crazy. Um, I don't feel like it's possible after the long hiatus that we had to cover much more. Obviously, I just want to make it clear to everybody out there that's listening to all, all our clutches. We are going to take the time out to dedicate an episode to the, the memory of Kobe Bryant. We want it to be done well. We want it to be done right. We want, we want to give fairness and, and mm. respect to him. Yes, sir. We haven't, we haven't really... Um, develop I guess you could say a full out game plan but I don't want I don't want it to be any minute wasted with the time that we give y'all when we speak to the life of the being um, as you guys probably all know by now I'm a Lakers fan Kobe Bryant actually happens to be the same exact age I am I'm a couple months older than him so I literally have lived my life along the path that he has as far as following him so as a father which both me and Chris are to deal with the situation that his family is going through and the rest of everyone else who was close to that man, it, it's touching, it's personal. And again, we just want to be fair to y'all. So the Kobe tribute is coming. We don't feel like there's a rush for it. So when we do it, it's going to be done right. Everything down to the presentation. I'm going to put together something that the audio is probably going to make y'all cry, but I hope y'all enjoy the ride that we put together. And on that note, as always, if you guys would like to get in touch with the Views from the Clutch, you can do so by leaving us a voice note on any one of the podcasting platforms where we are featured. You can reach us directly at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. Now's a good time if you have any suggestions for what you would like to see, hear, or be spoken about. In regards to our Kobe Bryant tribute, please go ahead and give us something. We, we offer the pointers when it comes to it. You can tag us on social media at Views from the Clutch on Facebook and Instagram. And on that note, I'm going to say peace. Peace. Bam against Embiid. Four seconds on the shot clock. Bam put it in for defense. This is Richardson. Richardson. Lock to seven. Napier. Gorgie out of the corner. Yes, sir. Be hard to guard. Dinwiddie kicks it out. Prince into the paint and rattles in and we're tied. That's two of them. But you're gonna have to, he's gonna try to see can he get Aaron Holiday in position.